Welcome back in, everyone. Let's go. It is episode 16 of the Wobcast 2.0, Owners of the Empire State, the title of the episode because your Minnesota Vikings have dominated the state of New York in 2022. Victories over the Bills and Jets already, and last week a big one over the New York Giants. The Vikings are 3-0 against the Empire State. They're on a roll, marching toward the playoffs, a big game against the Packers coming up. We have all of that and much more to talk about today on the Wobcast 2.0. To do that, a usual cast of characters. It's Giles, it's Chase, it's Wobby. We are glad you're here, and we're ready to talk about these Minnesota Vikings. Hey, fellas, how's it going? Doing fantastic. How are we doing? Uh, finally, a giant size win uh, mm-hmm. before even a, a, a bigger giant game against the Packers. I'm I'm really liking these Minnesota Vikings. They seem to be hitting their strides in a lot of categories. So exciting uh, as we keep this train moving. I think Chase, my prediction is when Greg Joseph was lining up for a 61-yard field goal to win the game, I don't think Chase thought he was going to make it. Am I right, Chase? <laughs> I may or may not have been watching. Oh, you may not have been watching. I, I was a little too nervous. I had, I had one of these in my hands, cover my eyes. Yeah, <laughs> my mom, when I was in high school sports, my mom would hide underneath the bleachers during close games. So is that, <laughs> that kind of what you were doing? Okay, yeah. Same thing. Yep. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. Um, but, you know, he, he split the uprights on it. I think he had a little distance to spare. What do you guys think? Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, there was three or four yards left. I was uh, very impressed. Uh, Greg, the leg strikes again. Yeah, he got into that one, and uh, it, it helped move the Vikings to 12-3. and three. That is their record as we head into the final two games of the regular season. Guys, I, I don't know that we want to spend too much time looking back on the win over the Giants uh, because the, the border battle with Green Bay is upon us in just a matter of hours. But I think we'd be remiss to totally ignore it. Um, and we had the holidays in between there uh, with the Christmas holiday that uh, disrupted our schedule. So let, let's just briefly go over some of the high points maybe of the Giants game. I happened to be in the building for it, um, and it was the whiteout game. So to me, that was one of the highlights. I thought it was um, a cool idea by the organization, uh, executed very well by the organization and the fans on game day. Um, we talked about this before, and it, it didn't work in the Vikings' favor. But, you know, that building can be uh, very loud and dis, a big disadvantage for, for the road team, more so than most stadiums because of how loud it can be. And it was primed for that, I think, before the game started with the whiteout and just the programming and all that. But then the Vikings ended up receiving the opening kick, you know, and I'm always just kind of like annoyed when, when you're the home team and you receive the opening kick because it's like you're amping up the crowd with the starting lineup and the national anthem and the pregame programming and the whiteout and the scars they handed out. And then, you know, it's like after the opening kick, it's like, okay, you gotta, gotta hush it down now, you know, and you kind of have a poor offensive series to start. And, mm-hmm. you know, the building was just kind of, it was a little stale, I thought um, that day, but the Vikings were able to overcome it. And then, um, you know, battled with the giants for uh, 60 minutes and came down to the final play, which so many games have done for the Vikings this season. Um, so to me, the high points were uh, were sort of the whiteout I thought was very cool. And then um, Greg Joseph coming through in the clutch and guys being at the games. It's just really fun to watch Justin Jefferson work. I mean, <laughs> it's like these guys, these coordinators and defenders are doing a lot of different things to try to stop them. And it mm-hmm. just doesn't work. None of it works. Um, and so he's, he's a treat to watch some of the high points there for me. Um, I was a little discouraged, I think, uh, at giving up 24 points the way they did, especially at becoming close at the end. Uh, I didn't love that. 
I think we've had a topsy-turvy last four or five weeks for the Vikings defense where they look mm-hmm. great against the Jets, um, you know, in the red zone, and then they've looked awful in some other weeks. Uh, yep. But um, I love special teams and, and Greg Joseph, and uh, and I love the whiteout and being in the building. So a couple of high points for me in that Vikings-Giants win, uh, that Vikings win over the Giants. How about for you, Giles? Yeah, uh, honestly, I'll, I'll mimic what you mentioned, JJ. He is very quickly becoming the obvious favorite for best NFL wide receiver. He yeah. is hands and feet the yeah. best wide receiver in the NFL. And more importantly, I think uh, JJ and TJ are the best wide receiver uh, tight end tandem in the entire Combo. league. Yeah. They are a phenomenal uh, scenario. So I even we'll uh, preview this uh, later on in the episode, but as we approach the Packers game, I think it's really creating an interesting matchup for opposing defenses to be able to decide, do we try to throw all of our defensive resources to take away JJ, but then essentially leave all of our offensive weaponry wide open, uh, or do we have to try to yeah. spread things out? And I think it's been an amazing wrinkle to throw uh, into the Minnesota Vikings offense. Moving over to the defensive side of the ball, uh, this was kind of an, uh, a game of opposites, where historically we've been pretty good in pass rush and uh, and more importantly our defensive line, but coverage has been the area where we've struggled. Now, I don't want to say that we didn't get pressure, but I think the interior, interior of our defensive line struggled tremendously. We'll get into PFF grades later, but our coverage actually held up quite well. We did uh, pretty well from a coverage standpoint, but yeah. our defensive line struggled. But um, I, I will take that as a fluke. Um, uh, for all it's worth, because our defensive line has been fairly decent this year uh, and coverage has been the issue. So hopefully we can get things uh, to be good on both sides of that uh, that element when it comes to the defense moving forward. Yeah, and and let's pull up those PFF grades, Giles, and, and talk about them now. I think it's appropriate because um, I, I don't want to end our Giants discussion without mentioning the fact that uh, there could be a repeat matchup uh, between these two organizations in the playoffs. So Mm -hmm. I I do think it matters what some of the individual matchups and outcomes were. And Mm -hmm. um, I don't think this is one of those where you chalk up a win and you, then now you, you throw this, you cast this team to the side. Um, Mm -hmm. You may have to deal with the giants again, and it would be at us bank stadium, uh, which would be an advantage uh, once more. But um, I, I have to say I was wrong about where I thought the Vikings would get hurt. I thought they'd be hurt by Jones and Barkley in the running game and that tandem and that sort of yin and yang. And I don't really think they were. Mm-hmm. I thought they handled that pretty well. I thought there were maybe some other areas where they got dinged. And I think the PFF grades might um, illuminate that. So let's discuss uh, some of the, the high points for you from the PFF grades. Let's do it. Let's jump into the offensive side of the ball first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as usual, do you have any guesses as to who are the top three PFF graded players are on the offensive side of the ball? Chase, how about for you? Any guesses? Uh, first one off uh, off of my mind is two touchdowns over 100 yards be TJ Hawkinson. Um, he is the number two. Ding, ding, Ooh. ding. Number two graded player. Um, I. Oh, At an 84.7, mind you. He had a okay. phenomenal game. But how, how is it? I mean, Jefferson has to be up there. He's mm-hmm. number one. He had okay, an 85.7. Yeah. <laughs> he was just yeah. one point above. They both had yeah. phenomenal games. They okay. were a great tandem when it came to uh, moving the ball down the field. Okay. And so what about the quarterback? Because... I, I didn't hate his performance uh, at all, uh, actually. And and it's not just box score. I'm looking at it right now. I mean, 34 of, of 48, 299, three touchdowns, uh, no interceptions. Like, yeah, you're a genius. You liked his performance. But it's not always 
a great PFF grade just because the box score looks good. There's more to it there, but um, I kind of, I don't like four sacks. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many of those PFF would have put on the quarterback, um, but I thought Cousins was in command for most of the day. So I'd, I'd be curious to know what his grade was. Uh, he was in command. I think he did have uh, a pretty decent day. He is not top three. He was actually the fifth highest PFF mm-hmm. graded player at a 69.4. So he had a pretty decent day, um, but not worthy of a top three rank. Okay. All right. So who else is top three? I mean, now we got Jefferson and we got Hawkinson. Um, man, we're a little removed, so it's not fresh in my mind. I'm wondering if, um, if Darisaw or O'Neal got up there, but um, it is in the trenches. Okay. All right. Don't even tell me it's one of the interior guys. Did we get an interior guy pop a top three rating? I wish that was me to oh. me. Uh, Ezra Cleveland did get rated as the fourth graded player. He had a 79.0 wow. grade. Okay. So uh, on the left guard uh, position, not too shabby. Um, okay. uh, it is Christian Derisai is the, the third graded uh, yeah. uh, player. He had an 83.0 PFF grade. Yeah. Uh, he had an 83 pass blocking grade and a 79.6 run blocking grade. He yeah. was a road grader on both uh, 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 sides of the ball, essentially. Yeah. So he was a phenomenal player. So um, if you look at offensive firepower uh, beyond the quarterback, those are the exact three positions that I want to be the top three graded players. Um, yeah, wide receiver, tight end, and left tackle. Like, yeah. that is a great formula for us to go the, the distance from February. So. I, I totally agree with that. You know, and like, you can argue like, oh, what do you mean? Uh, if, if everyone is just pretty average or above average and we got the three interiors playing great, you know, I you can go down that road too. But I mean, you kind of like what you're majoring in, you want to be really, really good at what you're majoring in. And the Vikings major in getting the ball to Jefferson and Hawkinson, 11 personnel scoring points like that. Yep. That's really what it's just not natural. I don't think with this setup that Kevin O'Connell has, it's not natural for him to just pound the ball with Delvin and Madison, mm-hmm. you know, so if we can just not be disasters with those interior three, the guard, mm-hmm. two guards and tackles, just be all right there yep. and be top three and five ratings at, you know, Jefferson Hawkinson cousins, then yeah, that's, I think bread and butter for the Vikings. A hundred percent. And I think it is important to have a, a call up for Brian O'Neill. He yeah. had an 83 grade in pass protection as well. So uh, for both uh, left and right tackles, we had a phenomenal game in pass protection. I believe yeah. throughout the year, they're both uh, ranked in the top six from a yeah. PF grade standpoint. So we have the twin towers, literally, um, uh, and the tackle position. So it's phenomenal. Now, yeah. Brian O'Neill did have a a few uh, issues in the run game uh, this past okay. week. Uh, he had a few plays that really were uh, not the greatest, so that, that did ding him. Um, so he wasn't in the top three. But Brian O'Neill, he's usually one of the top-graded players on the team. Uh, okay. So phenomenal uh, on the uh, on that side of the ball. If you had to guess the three worst-graded PFF graders uh, on the offensive side of the ball, what would you guess? Hmm. I would ding uh... – oh, man. Um... I think I would have to ding – I don't – I didn't – you know, I thought we were all right at center, and you might tell me I'm wrong there. Um, so I think I'd go with Ingram. I have a bad feeling my guy Adam might be in there. Uh, so Ingram and Adam would be my two guesses. Adam was the worst-graded PFF-graded yeah. player on Saturday. I had a feeling about uh, that. He had a 46.0 grade. He did not have a great game. Yeah. Um I think uh, he is definitely letting his age kept, catch up to him. I don't think yeah. he is completely washed. I think he's definitely a, a participant in our 
on our trajectory to chase a championship. I think he is a great red zone target. Um, his separation has become a little bit of an issue. He's a great route runner. Um, I think in certain contexts he can be a great player, but I think uh, you know he's moving and transitioning into a wide receiver three. That's yeah. not necessarily meant to be a slash at him. I mean, everyone has age catch up to them, and I think that's starting to happen. Yeah. Um, and you did touch on the third um, worst graded player, and that was Austin Ingram. Schlottman. Oh, it was oh, the nope. center. Austin yeah. Schlottman. Um, yeah, he yeah. had a 57.6 PFF grade, uh, and that was primarily due to his poor pass protection. He had mm-hmm. almost a 70 grade in run, but he had a 26.3 PFF grade from a pass protection standpoint. Yeah. He did not have a great day. Um, so as usual, uh, in weird fashion, as much as it is, uh, I really wish Garrett Bradbury would fix his back yeah. and come on down. Yeah, and I saw, I saw um, he's getting closer. I think he's getting closer guys yeah let's hope he comes back for the playoffs because uh we want to make sure that we're shoring up as much of that interior as possible especially if we have to play the washington uh commanders uh come playoff time because they have a stout defensive line and we want to make sure we're shoring it up as much as possible they do um yeah you know what so guys um uh the commanders no, the Giants have a good one too, but I would say the Giants' strength up front on defense uh, would be a, a, on the edge. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think uh, Kayvon Thibodeau can take a game over, and you know, where, whereas I think, with apologies to Chase Young, I think the Commanders, it's more some of the interior guys mm-hmm. uh, yep. who can really ruin it for you. So I, I yep. totally agree with your statement there. Yep. Uh, and then the other uh, uh, worst graded player was Alexander Madison. Um, mm, he okay. uh, had a few uh, passes uh, uh, thrown his way, which kind of dinged him. Uh, he had a, a pretty decent day in pass protection. He's okay against the run, but when he was p- uh, catching passes, um, he graded out at a fifty-seven or a fifty-five point seven PFF yeah. grade. Okay. Um, so all in all, we had a pretty decent day on the offense. Um, we had strength all in the right places, and that obviously led to a W. So yep. um, moving on to the defensive side of the ball. Okay. Um, this is really exciting because I'm seeing some progressions in the ways that I would prefer. Uh, so if you had to guess the top three graded PFF graded players for the defense, what would you guess? Mm, man. Well, what you just said makes me want to put Duke Shelley in there. Um, so I'm putting Duke in there. I, being at the game again, just eye test and, and watching and plays. I think Hicks and Kendricks both were around the ball a ton. Now, does that mean they were playing well? It does not. But I believe they each had a pass breakup, a tip pass. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying one of those two are in there. I'm saying Duke Shelley is in there. Um, and again, I want to go off of your hint that you like how something is progressing. So hold on. Let me check one stat before I say this. I want to see how many snaps this guy had. and Maybe... I want to see how many snaps Metellus had. He had 13 snaps. Is that in, does that qualify you? Uh, it does. I, I'm looking at every player on the defensive Metellus. side of the ball. Yep. I'm saying Metellus, Shelley, and Kendricks. So Hicks and Kendricks are not in the top three or the top five. Uh, <laughs> they did have a pretty good, decent day from a pass rush and tackling standpoint, but run defense, they struggled a little bit. Okay. Um, so they're middle of the pack. They didn't do poor necessarily. Um Uh, Duke Shelley was the fourth graded PFF graded player. Uh, He had a 74.9 PFF grade across the board. He was amazing in tackling, amazing in coverage. Struggled a little bit in the run, which dropped him out of the top three. But I think Shelley Island, Duke Shelley, still doing great (laughs) considering he wasn't even on an NFL roster that long ago. 
Uh, <laughs> and Josh Metellus was the fifth graded PFF yeah. grade player. Not bad. Uh, he had a 73 grade. He is doing great as well. So I'm excited yeah. that our, our depth is finally progressing to a point where they're showing up and showing out. Yep. All right, good. So who was up there top three? Top three. The top graded PFF uh, player was Daniil Hunter okay. with a 91.8 PFF grade. Now, yeah. if you're familiar with the, wow. uh, the the sections or the phases of PFF, 91 or at 90 to 100 in the, the grades for PFF yeah. is elite. That okay. is elite level play. He had a 91.8 uh, PFF grade player. Uh, he, I believe, um, let me look quickly. If you don't have it, it's fine. But... Um, I think I sent it to you, Chase, if you want to look it up quick. But he, uh, I believe he was top five in edge rushers, if not more than that. Uh, he had a great, great game. Uh, he had a 90.9 pass rush grade, um, which number obviously, two. number two, number two, number uh, two. out of like over 100 edge rushers, 107 <laughs> edge rushers. So he did phenomenal. Um, he ended the day with three sacks. He is uh, being the old player that we once want him to be. So yeah. uh, that is the number one uh, graded player. The number two graded player is someone that I've been hoping uh, for a great game for a long time, and that's Brian Asamoa. Oh, uh, finally, okay. he is combining his speed with the ability to actually accurately predict the the yeah. play because yeah. i saw him being really fast but wrong in a lot of plays leading up to this game uh where i'm like once he gets right he is fast enough to be a game disruptor and he ended this game with a 91.3 pff wow. created player uh, 27 PFF. snaps too so not an insignificant yeah. number of snaps i mean he played no yeah, you know, he so. did phenomenal. He was an elite okay. level player. He struggled a little bit in the tackling game, but in coverage, he had a 91.7 grade. So okay. I'm really excited to see him get more snaps when it comes to the, the linebacker room. And the third graded player uh, was none other than Zedarius Smith. Yeah. Two of our edge rushers on the top three. Uh, he ended the day with a 79.1 grade. Okay, uh, and, so and 54, 54 snaps for him, it looks like. I believe there were 69 snaps. Um, yeah, there were. There were 69 snaps. So you had um, some of your highest graded players also played a significant number of snaps. So um, mm -hmm. that is good. And and I'll also say it does look like there was a, a good rotation, uh, mm -hmm. fellas, of, of, you know, I think they were rotating guys in and out. We kind of picked up on that trend uh, the week prior, and, and that mm -hmm. continued here against the Giants. So yep. um, I see what you were saying, Giles, about uh, the trends of the grades you liked. Like the guys who are grading well, it bodes well for, for the future, right? Yep. Um, yeah, so if the Vikings defense short-term and long-term is going to be in good form, there are just certain guys who it would behoove uh, the team if they were the ones who were playing well, and in this mm -hmm. game they were. Yeah. Um, and again, if Daniel Hunter plays that way, it's like, who cares if this scheme ain't, isn't a perfect fit for him? If he's going to grade out like that, I mean, we're keeping him, you know? Yeah. So, 100%. Yep. Yeah. And when it comes to the worst graded players, this is where uh, it's a little bit surprising in some ways. Um, I will say one of these three did get hurt during the middle of the game. So that definitely um, caused a. Uh, a lack of production in the PFF grade. Um, and that is James Lynch. Uh, yep. Unfortunately, I think he's out for the season now. Yep. Um, he ended the day with a 44.1 grade. Um, but the worst graded player um, mm -hmm. was Harrison Phillips. 
And oh. I've been uh, seeing a little bit of a trend downward for him. So I don't know if he's dealing with an injury or what's going on because he's been pretty decent up until this this point. Um, but the last few games, he's been been struggling. But he ended the day with a 39.1 grade. He was yeah. the worst graded player uh, on the Vikings. Um, and uh, last, uh, the, the third graded player, uh, or worst graded player was Chanted Sullivan. He added a 48.1 grade. Um, he really struggled in coverage. Um, did decent when he uh, rushed the passer, but... Uh, you know, what can you do? Yeah. I will say uh, one of the the uh, things to call out from players that didn't necessarily have a great grade overall, but did great in pass rush was Kyrie's Tonga. He ended the day with a 79.4 pass rush grade. So it's exciting to see a backup player really uh, yep. being able to, to rush the passer and, and, and affect the play that way. So and, um, and, exciting yeah. to see his progression. And again, Giles, 26 snaps in the game. So yep. uh, for Tonga, so not an insignificant amount that that amounts to about 38% uh, snap exactly. share for him. So, you know, you had, um, Let's see, if you just look at the guys up front, you know, Tomlinson, 65%, Phillips, 51%. I call Wanham a guy up front. He's listed as a mm-hmm. linebacker, but, you know, he was 42%. Uh, Tonga, 38%. Uh, you have a, a 26%, uh, and then Lynch probably would have been higher if he had not gotten hurt. Maybe someone yep. would have been a touch lower, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, uh, a good rotation going on for, for the Vikings, um, on defense. And I, I think that's going to serve them well, you know, because it's not, not just like from the standpoint of like, keep guys fresh, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but if like a guy's not playing well and you want to remove them, mm-hmm. yep. Now you got a guy that you can put in and you can rely on him, you know? Yeah. So, um, so I kind of like, and, and I do sense that I, I do think that this is a significant shift in strategy from earlier mm-hmm. in the season. I don't think that they were playing that many guys, that many snaps. I think they've yep. opened up their rotation quite a bit. And I think that's going to pay off for them. Yep. And especially paying off in the coverage world, because we're doing much better in coverage than yeah. at least historically. Yep. Um, all right. Anything else that we want to uh, empty out from the notebook uh, from the Giants game? Um, honestly, that's, uh, that's it from a PFF grade standpoint. All right. Um, does the club, the giants, do they cause you any pause or anxiety thinking about meeting them in the playoffs? Um, I don't think so. Um, I think anytime you're in the playoffs, you're playing good teams. And I think the giants are a good team. Do I think they're an elite team? No, but I think they're a good team. Um, and I think if we're going to make it to the Super Bowl, we're going to have to go through teams like the Giants. And yeah. if we're analyzing the other teams that are going to be in the playoffs, um, the Giants scare me the least, or at mm-hmm. least towards the bottom uh, when it comes to teams that really frighten me. Um, yeah. They're nothing like the 49ers. Um, they're fairly one-dimensional. I will say their wide receiver room did get a, a little bit of a, a jolt of energy when it came to playing the Vikings. Uh, they did yeah. more against us than I thought they had done really all season. But I yeah. took that more as the Giants playing well than us playing poorly, although yeah. it did some of that did exist. Um, I'm not super scared. Uh, if I'm listing all the teams that I'd rather play, the Giants aren't necessarily someone that I'm terrified of. How about you, Chase? So. Yeah. Chase? Yeah, yeah um, if we wouldn't have played the Giants on Saturday... Um, the thing that would scare me going into the playoffs, knowing that that we have them on our schedule, would have been their defensive line and their defense as a whole. Um, mm-hmm. And seeing how well our offensive line held up against their defensive line uh, mm-hmm. really re- reassured me to where um, I think if we played them again, it wouldn't be as close as, as it was last time. Yeah, I think the Giants probably got away with some things, particularly in the passing game, um, that 
like I, I just think because of their talent level with pass catchers, there's just not a ton of stuff they can do. Like I think mm-hmm. Brian Dayball can draw can draw it up and can call it right, but I just he doesn't have the horses. Mm-hmm. And so I think those things now are you've experienced them and they're on tape. And so I think you'd be able to um, draw up answers. I think you'd have solutions to those problems. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Giants have what it takes to to create new problems. Um, and so um, this 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 club wouldn't scare me at all. Um, they are four and three on the road, which is pretty respectable, but they're minus 28 in point differential. Um, and I, I think I'd be a little more looking sideways at Seattle um, and definitely Detroit and Green Bay uh, than mm-hmm. I would uh, the Giants. So I, I think it'd be a favorable matchup, all things considered, if it was the Giants coming back to U.S. Bank Stadium. And uh, I think that moves us on to the potentially the next uh, game, which is something I'm getting really, uh, really anxious about. All right. So the Green Bay Packers, I think it's pretty unlikely that even if they make it, they're the they're the wild card round opponent. I think that's unlikely because I think if the Packers make it, it'll be partially because they beat the Vikings, which is probably going to slide the Vikings to the three seed and the Packers would make it as the seven and play the two seed, which would be the Niners. So mm-hmm. you can breathe a little bit easier on that because a hot green Bay Packers team making it to the playoffs. I don't think you'd want to see them at us bank stadium. And you're not going to see that in the first round. I don't think, however, that's cart before the horse. Let's talk about the regular season game against the green Bay Packers um in a game that matters not just for green bay i mean green bay is fighting for their playoff lives but the vikings are fighting for the two seed and this is one they gotta have um if they want to get there uh in green bay cold weather i think this is a really tricky figure this aspect of the game the environment the time of year because rogers is real he's got a really good record at home in december and january in the regular season it's not always great Rodgers playing outside in the playoffs, which is so interesting to me. I don't know what that's about. This is a regular season game uh, at Lambeau Field late in the year, which is absolute money time and wheelhouse for the Packers. Yep. Now, what we're talking about so far in this matchup is sort of um, theoretical and, um, you know, um, it's not really like, you know, matchup driven and data driven. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk about it from that standpoint, but just from an emotional and, you know, a rivalry standpoint and like a, here we go. Like, of course, Green Bay is not dead yet and they're making a push. I think Vikings and I've, I've, I've crowdsourced this a little bit, guys, asking people what they think when I run into people in the supermarket or gas station or wherever mm-hmm. Christmas, you know, and the common theme is like, I don't know, kind of expecting like there's going to be a letdown somewhere, you know, it could be this one. <laughs> so like, I think Vikings fans are sort of like, you know, preparing for that letdown here. So like, they won't be too disappointed if it happens. That's kind of what I'm sensing from the fan base. Um, you're absolutely going to get green Bay's best shot here in this game. Um, anyone who's questionable to play is going to play. And, um, you know, you know, Rogers and LaFleur, I don't know how often they text talk and all that stuff, but it, it was more often this week than it has been in the in previous weeks. I'll guarantee you that. And I, I, I think they probably got some things drawn up for the Vikings. So I, I totally expect this to be a close, hotly contested game. That's one possession that comes down to the wire. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely have two sides of a brain about this game because it is a divisional game on the road, which look at any division in football and that's a tough matchup even if you're the Raiders Chiefs like that's a tough matchup when you're on the road against a divisional opponent um 
I do think we are are uh, favored in a lot of categories when you look at all the matchups. I do expect the Vikings to win this game. Mm-hmm. Um, however, when you look at Aaron Rodgers, uh, his his track record in the past, this is the first time in a long time that he's had to play for a playoff spot. I mean, how many seasons in a row have they gone 13-3 and three, where right. it was not any question on whether they'd make the playoffs? However, once they made the playoffs, there's been a lot of scenarios in which Aaron Rodgers has not played super well. Um, So you could make some argument that he's not great under tremendous pressure, which this game is that like, this is, this is it. This is the show. Um, So I'm interested to see how Aaron Rodgers plays when it comes to that that dynamic, because in the past he hasn't done well. That's a great point, Giles. Um, And basically that they're in the playoffs right now, Mm -hmm. you know, green Bay is, I mean, Mm -hmm. they got to win this game and, and the next one. So for them, it is win or go home, which is what the playoffs are. And that's what you're talking about. That's the source of the pressure. And that's where Mm -hmm. we haven't seen Rogers play great outside at home. Not Mm -hmm. because the weather bothers them because he plays great in December at home. Yep. Might be the pressure, which is so odd that that's the narrative with him because he's one of the greatest of all time to play the game. Right. Yep. It's just so odd that there's a question about his ability with pressure or, or yep. in the clutch. Yeah, and it's it's definitely more uh, in the idea of coming from behind. Like even yeah. when you look at his fourth quarter comebacks, uh, at least the percentages and the stats surrounding that, he's actually fairly poor in that category because typically he is leading from the front, not coming from behind, Yeah. Uh, both yeah. in a macro and a micro standpoint. Yeah. Um, now, I mean, obviously that can be viewed in a vacuum. Like there's a lot of different nuance and con- context that goes into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at the macro level trends, that's what it's saying. Yeah. I think it's interesting, Giles, because you take an, an analytic look at it um, and you said you expect the Vikings to win the game. Um, and, and I think that's because you're saying you're looking at it like, let's, let's say everything is optimal for both sides. Mm-hmm. You would say the Vikings will win the game. And, and I yeah. can see that. Right. Um, but we know that it's not always optimal. Not everything is always optimal. Yeah. Um, where do you think, where do you anticipate the Packers probing and pushing and trying to make something work? Like what's their angle here? Um, I got a couple of ideas, but I want to know what you're thinking. If it's the third quarter and the Packers are up 10, like what's happening? Yep. Yep. Um, I think the Packers are definitely built differently this year in context of the way they've been built in previous years. I definitely think they're going to try to establish the run a lot more effectively. Um, Something that the Vikings have been okay at in the past. However, they've struggled uh, a little bit more recently uh, on some of the executional elements. Um, So take that as you will. Like maybe that means that we're going to come back much more fired up as the Minnesota Vikings to help stop that. Or maybe it's a trend that we're we're declining. Um, But I think from the offensive side of the ball for the Vikings, I think the the Packers are going to try to attack our interior side of the ball. I think they're going to yeah. try to ruffle Kirk Cousins' feathers um, because I don't see the 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 Packers able to do anything else that'll stop us. Because yeah. I think we are starting to click in every other category offensively. That the only way that they can try to win is to ruffle Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, I'm doing some quick math here because the Packers are bottom five, six, and run defense. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at yards per game allowed now, what's always interesting about that is when you look at total, total yards allowed or yards per game allowed, what's what you, what people don't look at is, especially when you're looking at it like a per game or per carry that that's one thing, but like how, like our teams running against you vault, like volume wise, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So Green Bay has faced 434 runs in 15 games. So teams are going in there running the ball 29 times per game. Mm-hmm. That tells me that not only are you getting yards, but those yards are coming because it's a thing that you want to do to Green Bay. You want to mm-hmm. run on Green Bay. Yeah. Um, and so I've we've already talked about in this show that it's just not natural for Kevin O'Connell to to pound it with Madison and and with Delvin, but he might he might benefit from trying to do that a little bit, especially if one of the angles for Green Bay is what you just said, Giles, roughing mm-hmm. up Kirk Cousins, attacking you know the interior. Um, the best way to slow that down to to counteract that is if not screen game, you know, is running the ball. Yep. I could not agree more. And I I think, you know, if you you, let's make, I'd say let's make green Bay tackle Delvin. Let's make them tackle this guy because he's, Mm -hmm. he's a hard guy to bring down, you know? So I don't know. Um, And I think he still has it. I think uh, a lot of people think that Dalvin is cooked. uh, No pun intended. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But I think it's primarily because we haven't been leveraging him in that way. Like we, We simply haven't been using him uh, to all of his strengths. And I think that's partially schematically driven, where I think they're waiting to unleash him. So if come playoff time they need to unleash him, people don't have the tape, um, uh, you know, necessary to to how to stop him uh, in the ways that we can use him. Do you think they shadow Jefferson? I don't think they do. Yeah, they they did they didn't really in the first matchup. Now that was way way back in week one, and there was a lot Mm -hmm. of talk about Jair and Jefferson and that matchup. Can't wait to watch it. And I thought there were some. We have to go back and watch it again, but I don't think it was uh, one of those deals where they traveled Jair everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I don't think they will here either. Um, I think it'll backfire on them if they do. I think it would. The other thing is when you get sophistication on offense with play calling, which you have with Kevin O'Connell. Yep. You know, one of the disadvantages, is, it's great if you've got a guy who can just lock someone down, right? And it's mm-hmm. like, we're taking this guy out and all that. Okay. It's like you're also that's a tell to the like they always know where that guy's going to be mm-hmm. and they probably then can filter it down and know where other guys are going to be too and that almost makes it easier for the other offense to scheme things up and take advantage yep. of other areas so yep. um I think it should be pretty rare when you travel some a corner and just yep. shadow a guy I think that should be rare when you do that I but. completely agree and I also think if the Green Bay Packers were in a little different standing, whether they had the playoffs locked or where they were completely out of the playoffs, I might give you a different answer because I think uh, some storylines that are not necessarily happening right now is Justin Jefferson's proximity to the 2000 yard measuring stick. And more importantly, a team's ego when it comes to stopping that. If the Packers were like, all right, we're, we're, we're in the same spot, whether we win or we lose, we're going to stick it to the Vikings and not let him get 2000 then we're going to do everything we can to stop Justin Jefferson, even if that means yeah. giving up 500 yards to TJ. Yeah. <laughs> no, totally true. I, I definitely agree with that. You know, plus you, you may want to give a, you, you know, you want to throw one of your players a bone, right? Like, yeah. you know, like if you ask Jair, do you want to do this? He'd be like, hell yeah, I want to do yeah. that. Like, yes. And so you're, you're eliminated and it's like, you know, we wouldn't normally do this if it game matter, but it doesn't matter. So let's, yeah. Right. Let's play yep. this game with Jair and let him do it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Great, great point. Uh, we are certainly not in that situation here. We are in the opposite. Uh, this game means everything to Green Bay. Yep. Um, I, I can't wait to watch it. I, I mean, the environment's going to be cool, and there's just so much on the line uh, for both teams. 
mm-hmm. um, that it excites me to watch this uh, rendition of the border battle. Uh, we, we did travel to it last uh, last year. So on January 1st or 2nd, I can't remember. And it was just, I mean, it was so cold. <laughs> um, and it's not going to quite be that cold here uh, in this matchup, but it's going to be pretty dang close. And I'll uh, be curious to see what the contingent is like for Vikings fans traveling to that uh, stadium because they normally travel quite well uh, to Lambeau. Yeah. So I hope they do this week as well. And maybe um, we'll win in such dramatic fashion that Mr. Kirko Chains will pull out some grills uh, on the plane ride home. He's going to have to do it fast <laughs> now. It's a short trip uh, yeah. from Green Bay. So <laughs> you might have to use some of the taxi time, uh, the runway yeah. taxi time to get some of the shenanigans out of the way. Exactly. Um, uh, I certainly hope we're uh, we're feeling that. Let's um, quickly touch on um, – the Lions uh, this week, uh, certainly a disappointing performance for them last week against the Panthers. Yeah. Um, they they return home and play the Chicago Bears at noon on Sunday. They are favored by six in this game, uh, and it's a game that they need to win as well. Do you anticipate a Lions bounce back? I do. Yeah, me too. Um, I think the team has bought into Dan Campbell and – I do think they're a decent team. A lot of people have written them off, but they have a lot of great talent in a lot of positions. Um, I, I view them as an up-and-coming team. Do I expect yeah. them to go the distance this year? Absolutely not. Um, but I do see them as a uh, a bit of a powerhouse in a lot of categories, and I expect them to bounce back against the Bears. Okay. I agree. So, um, you know, in 72 hours, uh, 96 hours, uh, I think the Giants are – well, the Giants will be in it even if they lose, but I think they're going to beat the Colts. Yep. And uh, I think the Lions are going to win. I think I think they'll be able to beat the Bears. I think that Commanders Browns game is a little bit of a toss up. I think the Niners will beat the Raiders, and I think the Seahawks will. Uh, will well, I don't know. Mike White's back for the Jets, so uh. <laughs> uh, the Jets play better with Mike White than they do with Zach Wilson. So we yeah. we may see the Seahawks drop a notch here too. But a lot of meaningful games here this week. You know that Seahawks Jets game is cool because both those teams are fighting for their playoff lives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as opposed to a game like the Niners and Raiders, where the Raiders are are out of it and the Niners are 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 trying to win. So I like those games where, um, you know, it's two teams who don't know for sure if they're in or where they're going to be playing mm-hmm. each other. You know, it's not that with the Giants and Colts. So the Giants, you know, sort of have a big leg up there in that matchup. Uh, the Lions have a leg up in that matchup with the Bears because the Bears aren't playing for much. And wanting to be the spoiler only really gets you so far, right? When you're, when you're playing a team who's really in it, in it to win it and trying to make the playoffs. So will be some interesting scoreboard watching uh, for, for the Minnesota Vikings and the Green Bay Packers. Primarily, though, for the Vikings is that Niners-Raiders game. Uh, you definitely want an upset there. Niners favored by nine and a half as the Raiders sit Derek Carr. Uh, which is an interesting situation. We'll be talking about those guys in the offseason, Jason Giles. That'll be an interesting yeah. offseason talker is where's Derek Cargo. I saw a yeah. funny um, – I can't remember who tweeted it, but I saw a funny one where it's like, who says no, Rodgers for Carr straight up, uh, reunite Rodgers and Devontae in Las Vegas. I think that'd be, yeah. that'd be interesting. Um, but, yeah, scoreboard watching for the Vikings this week, definitely focusing on the San Francisco 49ers. Scoreboard watching for the Packers, you're looking at uh, a bunch of different games. Um, mm-hmm. But that that's a great part about this time of year is is watching the the scores of those other games, you know, while your team is playing. Um, and the Vikings will be right in the midst of that. Um, and then, of course, we'll see what happens in, in Week 17. Um, I, I got a feeling that we could see a Packers-Lions win and you're in Sunday night flex game uh, next week. 
<laughs> That'd you be know, a good game. Wouldn't that be interesting? Yeah. yeah. Um, unlikely the Vikings will be flexed to that Sunday night game. They play the Bears. The Bears aren't, aren't going to be in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Vikings may not be locked into a seed, but they really like to get a do-or-die game in that Sunday night flex game in the last week of the season. So it will not likely be the Vikings. I think they'll be playing at noon. Uh, against the Chicago Bears. Everyone says uh, the Vikings close the season with the Bears every year. They do it every year, and they don't. It, they change it up, but it has been the Bears quite a bit, I, it feels mm-hmm. like, in the last five or six years. I agree. But, uh, yeah. And let's not forget, the one seed is still technically available. It is. It is. <laughs> You're right. What's your hunch on if Jalen Hurts plays or not? It's it's Saints at Eagles, and Sirianni is basically saying he's not ruling Hurts out. I think Hurts probably going to play. You think so? That'd be my guess. Yeah. I think if they're smart, they play him because they play the Saints obviously this weekend, but they play the Giants next weekend. And that's a divisional game, which obviously divisional games are are uh yep. a bit of a, a thing to to tackle. Um so there's a not a realistic chance that they lose both of these games, but it's not out of the realm of possibility, no. I guess is my point. So I think it's important for the Vikings to keep a, a distant eye on that to make sure that they're uh putting themselves into a favorable position if that becomes available. Yep. Agreed with you. Um, you know what? That That's a, about two weeks ago. I think that sounded like a long shot, but I think it's up there. I think it's. Yeah. The Saints are know. no slouch and it's a divisional game against the Giants. Yeah. The only thing that really hurts this though, guys, is uh, the Raiders, I think, are just going to lay down for the Niners. Yeah. Um, and so I was going to say, I think there's as good a shot as the Vikings being in the one seed as there is in the three, but I can't say that because the Niners are going to win uh, this yeah. week and, and therefore will be within striking distance of the two seed. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, uh, one, two, or three for the Vikings. We know they won't be the four seed. That'll be the winner of the NFC South, um, <laughs> which is interesting because um, I think that's going to come down to next, to next week's game for the Buccaneers. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it interesting this, this week? on Thursday night uh, for the Titans and then for the Jags on Sunday where their game doesn't matter. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Um, So like if I'm the Jags, I'm not playing anybody. No. I mean, it doesn't matter if you win or lose this week. If you win this week, but lose next week, you don't make it. So uh, I think unless you just want to keep people sharp and play them for a series or two or three, I don't know. But normal playing time. Cause they also have a veteran head coach and you know that they, come into the 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 game with that in mind right like yeah you want to keep players fresh i didn't look at these scenarios but um before we go it, uh, is there a scenario where the vikings are locked into a seed going into next week i should have looked that up if the niners lose the fill uh, the eagles win and we win i believe i think we're you're locked, locked into two right yep so then Giles, Chase, what do you do with your guys? I think you got to rest them, don't you? I don't know. I mean, it depends. You got to let Jefferson get the record, man. You got to let him. I don't know if he'll uh, not let you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He'll fight you. Man, I, you know, and see, these are discussions that are real discussions that happen in NFL buildings every week. And they're, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it. You know, by definition, each team is, is an entity into itself, but I think I'd be on the side of the fence that says, let's just rest our guys. Let's yeah. not play them. And, and the risk there is rust and they, they show up and 
uh, you know, in the first round of the playoffs, you don't, you start slowly and everyone second guesses you for sitting guys in the last mm -hmm. week. Yep. But I'd rather deal with that than deal with like, yeah, our left tackle is not playing because he got hurt in a meaningless game against the bears. Mm -hmm. And anytime you step on the field, you risk injury. I mean, there's a reason yes. that they don't play them in the preseason. Yeah, exactly right. And, and, and it's trending that way more and more. I mean, mm -hmm. it kind of started with, um, with McVeigh and the Rams where he just was like, no one's playing any at all, yep. you know, yep. and more and more teams are getting that way. So, um, all right, let's, let's do predictions here in the, uh, in the Vikings Packers game. I want scores from you guys chase first guys. You're second. I'll go last. I got mine written down score of the game and who wins it. What do you got? Chase? Um, I'm going to go 31, 17 Vikings. I'm not scared of the Packers at all. 31, 17 soda. Okay. Giles? I'm going to say 24-13. Um, I think we're going to win. The Vikings obviously win. Um, I think uh, we're going to be able to stop them pretty effectively. But I think we're going to play game clock management um, okay. uh, and slow the, the game down. Okay. The over-under on this game, guys, is 48. Um, and I'm sensing an under here. And so the score I have written down is 23-20. And in my head... It's a missed Mason Crosby field goal. Um, <laughs> That'd be awesome. And, and the Vikings win that way um, with some kind of like score in the fourth quarter by Cousins and the offense to take the lead. Yep. And I think Rodgers gets him down there, gets him in field goal range, and Crosby misses. That mm -hmm. That's what I'm sensing. So it's a shot wow. in the dark, but it's an yeah. under game to me. Uh, and the Packers are actually favored in this game. Did that surprise you? It is at their home stadium. It is January. It is Rodgers. Um, I've seen a lot of quarterback rankings where Rodgers is still top five. Um, I think he is able to carry a lot of weight from previous seasons and a lot of ranking and betting lines. Um, it seems a little bit outrageous considering the records, but I understand it. I get it. It's, yeah. it's at Green Bay. Yep. I expect a three-point game either way. Uh, my kids always ask me who you're rooting for in this game. I always say close game. Just want a close game, right? Yep. And uh, I think that's what we're going to get. I think we're going to get treated to a good one here at Lambeau Field on Sunday as the Vikings and Packers uh, wage a border battle. Uh, 325 kickoff, and it's on CBS, which is unusual for two NFC teams. So we'll have Nance and Romo, I would presume, on the call uh, for Vikings and Packers. So that'll be a lot of fun. I enjoy listening to Romo. Anything else, guys, here on Vikings, Packers, or any other component of – uh, of week 17 in the NFL. No, let's go shut down the cheese. All righty. That sounds good to me. That'll do it for episode 16 of the Wobcast 2.0. Thank you for listening. We hope you are listening to all of our shows and you are subscribing. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube. You can find me on Twitter at Wobby, W-O-B-B-Y. Email us, therealwobcast at gmail.com. But most importantly, keep listening to us we appreciate all of you guys being here and joining the conversation with us as we talk Vikings. Vikings Packers, Sunday, 325. Then join us early the following week on Monday or Tuesday as we break it all down. Hopefully, another Vikings victory. For Giles and Chase, I'm Wabi signing off for now. Skull Vikings.